Thank you for listening to the Life Church of Kansas City, Missouri. Consider supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com, subscribing, and sharing this message with your friends. God bless you. Chapter number 12, the Gospel of John. Chapter number 12, begin reading at verse number 27. We're going to pick up right where we left off in our series last week. This is the Lord speaking. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Can you say amen to the word of the Lord? Amen. From this passage and other events surrounding the uh, hours and days before the crucifixion of our Lord, I want to speak the subject, signifying the Lord's death. Signifying the Lord's death. Jesus came accomplishing many things from his birth to the time he was simply 12 years old, being in the temple and baffling the greatest minds of that day in Israel. But Jesus says here that he could have asked the Lord to let this hour depart from him. Jesus said, for this very hour is the purpose that I came to this world. I believe that if you read the Bible from beginning to ending, yes, you see common themes such as love, you see forgiveness, you see redemption, all those common themes and subjects. But if you were to sum up one picture, one picture, one image, one icon, one logo that the Bible represents It is the picture of our Lord and Savior upon the cross. You see the death of our Lord, the love that was shed there by his own blood there upon Calvary. That is the ultimate icon of the Bible from beginning to end. You read in the book of Genesis, probably my favorite typology of Jesus. The Lord says to Abraham, I want your son. Abraham's son Isaac was a promised son. It was a prophesied son. 
A son that he had while he was very old. Him and his wife were very old. It was a miracle in itself. You know, Abraham is in his 90s. He's walking around with a cane. Sarah's in her 90s, walking around with, as it were, uh, you know, a walker. And uh, God said, you're going to have a child. And I hear some of you laughing. That is funny to think of people in their 90s having kids. But God did it for that very reason, so that Abraham and Sarah and all their family and the nations round about could look at that birth of that child given to that couple. And so the world would know that it was not just done by natural means, but that God had a hand in it. Never think for one moment, church, that God is late or that God has forgotten or that God has procrastinated. Oh no, he usually waits right to the very end on his timing and structures a miracle in a certain way so that neither you or nor anybody else could take credit for the miracle. But through God's very timing of his fulfillment of his promise, we can look and say that God did it, did it and I've got the timing to prove it. All that steel you see out there on the southeast lawn and that storage bin out there. Yeah, we're looking at it, we're waiting. Lord, when are we going to get the permit to build? When are we going to get this permit to build and all the things put in place so we can set it up? i tell you why we're waiting. We're really waiting on God. So that the very moment, at the very last time, it'll silence every doubter, every skeptic concerning finishing strong. And when the timing is right and when that thing is built, this entire church and this entire block and this entire area, they're going to look at that finished children's wing and they're going to look at a finished, amen, life center. They're going to look, amen, at a finished, amen, stadium seating. They're going to say, that wasn't just TLC and the people, that was God Almighty who helped them accomplish that. And that is how Calvary worked, amen. The devil looked at it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the enemies looked at it and said, see, we put an end of Jesus and we're going to put an end to his followers. But in all reality, even the Lord said it is finished, meaning the atonement for sin was finished. But the kingdom of God had just begun right then and there. And when Satan saw that, I imagine him backing up like it says to the Corinthian church. Whoa, wait a minute. If we would have known what the death of Jesus would have accomplished, we would have never put him on that cross. Never think for one minute you are defeated. Never think for one minute that God is defeated. Never think for one minute that the church is defeated. But right there at the very end, it seems like God wins every single time just to prove and to show that God knew what he was doing all along. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord? Oh, I feel like having church. Praise God. The Lord said, Abraham, I want your son, the son that you love, the son that you've been teaching how to hunt. The son you have been teaching how to fish. The son you have been teaching how to be a shepherd. That son that you're pouring everything into to keep the covenant and the promise alive. I want you to offer him to me. And Abraham knew if God gave it. And then if God wanted it back, I've got to give it back. And he walked up Mount Moriah. And his son whom he loved, his only son that he loved carrying that wood up that mountain and he puts his son on the altar on that wood and just as he's about to offer him unto the Lord 
The word of the Lord came out of heaven and said, stop, I have tested you and you have passed the test. Truly, you love me. Truly, you are obedient to me. And then Abraham looked into the thicket caught in the thorns. There was a ram. God provided the sacrifice and Abraham sacrificed that ram. And you see that same thing happen. Fast forwarding in time in the New Testament. God's son, his only begotten son whom he loved. He's walking up a hill carrying a wooden cross. It should have been you and I carrying that cross. It should have been you and I walking up that hill to die. But it was Jesus Christ who carried the cross for us. And he got on that cross just like Isaac. And not only that, but he had a crown of thorns wrapped around his head. Just like that ram was caught in the thorns. It should have been you and I nailed to that cross. Amen. For it was you and I that had sinned. The Lord had never sinned. It should have been you and I having a crown of thorns upon our head. But no, Jesus said, I'm not going to let them die and be penalized for that. It should have been you and I hung up there exposed. But no, no, Jesus said, I will get on that cross exposed for them. It should have been you and I who were accused who were blaspheming, who were scolded, who were mocked. We were worthy of that. Jesus, not being worthy of that, said, I'm going to take it upon myself. Why? Because Jesus was signifying on that cross what hell would one day be. Oh, yeah. It says they gnashed their teeth at him. That doesn't mean that they physically bit him. But what it means is it says they spoke blasphemous words to him showing their teeth in anger. And Jesus says that in hell there will be wailing and the gnashing of teeth. There will be torment. There will be suffering. There will be pain. And that is what crucifixion symbolized. Not being burnt alive. Not suffering electrocution. Not a hanging or any of the ways of death, but crucifixion itself because crucifixion is the longest lasting death penalty of all death penalties that have ever existed to mankind. Crucifixion was not death, but rather it was leading a man or woman to death. It was suffering long until as long as the Romans wanted to have their way with people. It was suffering that was strategic. It was gruesome. It was horrible. But it was signifying to the Lord's followers, to the whole known world then, and to us now, of what hell would be like. You see, the Lord set it up this way, that for you and I, the only hell we would ever experience is the hell that we face here upon the earth. The attack of the devil now going through trials and troubles now. And he wants us to experience only that taste of hell so that you and I will never have to taste hell for all eternity. But it's the opposite for those on the outside. For those on the world, their heaven, their party is right here and right now. But their hell is for hell for all eternity. That's why I'd rather carry my cross and suffer with him now so I can be glorified and be in eternity with him forever. 
I'd rather suffer the shame now. I'd rather suffer the ridicule now of this world. I'd rather suffer as it were the insanity of the preaching of the cross now because I know of the wisdom and the glory that will bring me one day. Amen. When my feet touch gold and I'm with my Savior in heaven, praise God. Oh, the sins of this world are only pleasurable, but for a season. But if you follow sin, if you follow the Satan now, you're going to follow sin and Satan right down to where he's determined to be for all eternity. And it's in hell. That's why we've got to come to the foot of the cross and repent of our sins and believe the gospel and be baptized like we just saw and be filled with the Holy Spirit and turn from sin and live a life according to the word of God. So we can have a home in heaven. Can you say praise the Lord? We've come, amen, to remember his death. We've come, amen, to signify his death tonight. Why do you think we raise our hands unto the Lord when we worship? It is a symbol of reaching out. It is a symbol of wanting to embrace the presence of God. Do you want to know what raising your hands really does? It is a symbol of the Lord's death. It is a symbol that you and I are a living sacrifice unto him. It is a symbol that, Lord, where you went, we are willing to go right where you were. Offering ourselves, as it were, amen, for the service of the kingdom of God. Offering ourselves, amen, for the service of making disciples. Offering ourselves, Saying no to this world and the pleasures of this world. Saying no to our life. Hating our life as it were and following the Lord. That is how you symbolize the Lord's death. Jesus said that when you take communion, which we shall do here momentarily, that it's not so much physically eating the body of Jesus, nor physically, literally drinking the blood of Jesus. But the Lord said that when you do this, you are doing this in remembrance of me. Communion is symbolic to the broken body of God and the blood of Jesus. It is a sign signifying his death. You read about it in the Old Testament. When Israel sinned and rebelled against the Lord and complained, it says that fiery serpents came through the camp. And whoever those serpents bit, they were to the point of death. And to stop that plague, Moses fashioned a bronze serpent. He made an image of a serpent for the people to look at. That passage baffled Israel. That moment in time completely was confusing. There was no real definition or why God would do this. Until you read in the New Testament, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up that brazen serpent, so must I be lifted up for everybody to be seen and for everybody to be healed. The picture of the cross is the greatest form of symbolism. Symbolism points to it. And Jesus, in this passage that we said, when he talks about these things, this hour, I have come for this very purpose, this hour of suffering, this hour of getting upon the cross, this hour of being buried, this hour of rising again, this is the purpose for which I came. 
And he said, Lord, I pray that you glorify your name. And when he does that, a voice speaks from heaven. And it says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. This is the third occurrence that a voice came from heaven during Jesus' ministry. It first came at his baptism. You know, when he was baptized coming out of the water, the Bible says the sky opened up and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, if I would have seen that, I would have been convinced this is him. To see that, to hear that, to have that sign, this is him. But sadly, not everybody believed at that moment. Some walked away. You have the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up there on the mountain. And the Bible says that he was transfigured and Moses and Elijah appeared right then and there. It was like the moment of the earthly world and the spiritual world united. It was a picture of the, of the, of the, of the age that is to come. The Bible says another voice came down. God's voice came down and spoke and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And then finally a third time when Jesus says these things, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The voice came the third and final time and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. We have never heard God's voice thunder from heaven like that since that time. It was three times that happened for that generation in that time so that without a doubt, the world could see and hear and have a sign that Jesus is the one. This is how God works even through his church in signifying his death. It is always through a mysterious voice speaking. Jesus said there would be many signs that would follow them that believe. He said, in my name, they will cast out devils. He said, they will be baptized and be saved from their sins. And he said, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And he also said, they will speak with new tongues, Mark chapter 16. And then you read about it in the book of Acts chapter 2. After Jesus has come and gone and all that's left to the church... It says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound from heaven, the very place that Jesus went to. That spirit came down and filled all the house where they were sitting. And you notice, it was not healing that was the first sign. It was not the casting out of devils that was the first sign. But what was the very first sign God gave to the church? It was speaking in other tongues. It was speaking in languages that they did not know, that they had never learned. It was a sign to them and to all the onlookers that what they have is not of this world. That what they had came directly from heaven itself. You know what you're doing when you raise your hands and speak in mysterious spiritual languages? You are giving a sign to yourself and all those in this room and all those who hear you that Jesus died and rose again. It is a very sign from heaven itself. That's why when you do it, you are pleasing God. Your voice becomes the voice from heaven. Never. That's why it is a sad thing when you read the story of Judas. He walked away. He heard the voice of God speak from heaven. He saw the signs that Jesus performed. 
And sadly, this is the season when many who once believed do walk away. But for those of us that have believed these signs, you are now the sons of God. This season is the season of separating to those who believe and those who do not. Jesus said that when this hour comes, that Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. You know, some have read that and said that Satan is no more, that Satan is now gone. I've looked around in this world and I've lived in this world long enough. Satan ain't out of this world yet, believe me. What Jesus meant when he said that was that he no longer holds the greatest kingdom in this world. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms that he ruled over. He ruled over Rome. He ruled over Greece, ruled over Babylon, ruled over the Persian Empire, ruled all the kingdoms of this world. But when Jesus hung on that cross, he was conquering the world for his kingdom to be established. And it was the kingdom of God, you and I, that are a part of. Our kingdom is greater than any kingdom in the world. No other kingdom can cast out Satan. No other kingdom has authority over Satan's kingdom. But you and I, wherever we go, wherever Satan is, Jesus said, it's like you talking to a mountain, be removed, get out of here. He said, not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. That's right. You and I now are the greatest kingdom. How was that accomplished? It was accomplished on the cross. It was accomplished through the shedding of the blood of Jesus. That's why it's so confusing because death, we think loss. In death, we think defeat. Oh no, Jesus' death brought great victory. It brought great victory. Go ahead and clap your hands unto the Lord. Praise God. It brought great victory because Jesus was innocent. You see, God knew how to manipulate the law in a way that would confuse the enemy of this world. He was condemned an innocent man. That was against the law to be a false witness. It was against the law to falsely accuse. It was against the law to wrongfully put to death. It was murder. It was injustice. It was considered an abomination. And not only that, but the spirit of death and the underworld that we call in English hell. In the Greek, they called it Hades or Hades. It was the underworld that would take the souls of men and women who had sinned. Because everybody has sinned. Everybody before Calvary was worthy to go to hell. But when Jesus stepped into hell, hell tried to take the soul of the Lord. But his soul had never sinned. His soul had never committed iniquity. And hell tried to wrongfully take that soul. And because of that, Hell itself broke the law. So hell was then judged. Hell was then executed. That's why Jesus said, I have the keys of death and hell. Whoo! 
Now you know why Satan is pulling his hair out. Why did I ever let Jesus get on that cross? Why did I ever allow him to get buried? Because for too long, he thought death was the only way for him to win. The murder was the only way to get his way. That the cutting off and the silencing was the only way to get his way. Oh no, he should have looked back. He should have looked back at the righteous blood of Abel. He should have looked back at the Lord slain. The carcasses of those animals and clothing Adam and Eve. He should have looked at the ram being slain there for Abraham. He should have looked at the sacrifices of the priest. He should have looked at all of that. But he was blinded because that's what he wants. He wants blood. He wants death. He thinks that destroying leads to his victory. I've got news for the devil. You destroy Jesus and you're defeated. And the more you fight against the church, the more you are defeated. Can I tell you this? You've got victory in your suffering, church. You've got victory in your pain, church. Because when it's all said and done, if you stand firm during your trial, God will give you victory over the enemy of your soul. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord? Praise God. Praise God. Brother Nix, if you'd please come to the organ. Praise God. Oh, I feel victory in the house tonight. Praise God. When Jesus said these things, the doubters said, we have read in the law that Christ remains forever. How can this man say the son of man must be lifted up? It's true that the Bible does say this, that Messiah abides forever. The prophet Daniel foretold of this, saying his kingdom shall not pass away. And his kingdom, this one, shall never be destroyed. It does say that. But you read later on in the book of Daniel, in Daniel 9, it says that Messiah will be cut off. You see, it's both. Messiah will have a kingdom. And he will rule forever. But before all of that happens, he has to be cut off. He has to be cut off because man was cut off. When Adam and Eve sinned, their sin entered the world. And you and I, when we are born into the world, we are born into sin. And all of us, because our parents fell, that nature to fall was passed down to all of us. All of us have been tempted. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God could have given up on humanity a long time ago and said, I am done with you. I want nothing to do with you. But because you and I were made in God's image and you and I have the very breath of God from heaven, you and I cannot be cut off forever. So what the Lord said, I will do something to cover their sins. I will hide their sins. I will disguise their sins. And I will do it with my own blood. That's how this blood works. That's how Calvary works. When you are saved, when you are washed in baptism and come up out of that water, you become a new creature and the blood of Jesus is applied to you. There's no sin in the blood of Jesus. There's no iniquity in the blood of Jesus. So when the Lord looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the atonement. He sees the propitiation. He sees as it were a pure, innocent blanket. He sees the spotless lamb. 
He sees the ram caught in the thicket. That's what he sees. That's why Satan fights you. And he accuses you because he wants the blood removed. Oh, my friend, you men understand this. If you ever cut yourself shaving and put your dress shirt on, oh, that shirt is ruined. You ain't getting that stain out. I uh, caught a 50-pound spoonbill earlier this week. And uh, when we gaffed that and pulled that fish into the boat, I got a little blood on my clothes. I ain't getting that blood out. That spoonbill, I've got battle wounds for my spoonbill on my clothes. The blood of the Lord cannot be removed by the devil. It cannot be removed by this world. The only way it can ever be removed is when you say, God, I'm done being covered by you. I'm going my own way. And you better believe it. He'll take that blood away and put it upon somebody else who wants it. Somebody else who wants to signify it. I'm calling out to you, Judas, tonight, who's thinking about walking away and betraying the Lord that suffered and bled and died for you. Oh, my friend, this cross is too good to walk away from. This world is too evil and too judged and too cursed to want. Stay with God. Stay with the church. The signs are all around us. This pandemic, the wars, the commotion, all of the things happening in this world, it's a sign that Jesus is one day coming back soon and very soon to pick up right where he left off. He said, I'll no longer drink this cup with you until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of heaven. It's what we get do when we get to heaven. The first thing we do, we're gonna pick up right up where Jesus left off at that last supper. We're gonna continue the supper on with him. Praise God. So I got a question for you tonight. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. What a part of the cross draws you? He died under a darkened sky. Maybe you feel as it were, there's no light in your world that everything is darkness. The Lord hung on a dark sky. When he died, the veil tore. Maybe you, you feel like there's constantly a barrier between you and God. Maybe for you, you feel like only certain people get beyond that veil. Oh no, my friend, the Lord tore that veil right in half so everybody could come in. Maybe it was the great earthquake that happened. Maybe you, you feel like everything shakes. Maybe for you, everything is destructive. For that earthquake, it was a symbolic that not even earth itself could handle the death of God. Maybe it's when Jesus Christ cried out with a loud voice. Maybe that touches your heart. You know, Jesus is on the cross being crucified. When people were crucified, they could barely even breathe, let alone even talk. But it said he had the strength supernaturally to cry out with a loud voice. It! is finished a voice so loud that everybody on Golgotha's hill could hear it that day a voice so loud that entire city of Jerusalem and I think as it were the entire nation of Israel and the entire world heard that sound the entire world heard that loud voice as he cried out maybe that's what touches you so most for me personally I'm going to tell you you know what touched me the most as Jesus told Pilate, I could summon legions of angels to come and save me right now from you. To save me right now from this crowd. To save me right now from my accusers. He even on that cross could have summoned angels. Come and get me off this cross right now. 
He could have summoned the armies of heaven and they would have been there right there for him. The angels of the Lord were there for him in the wilderness. They were there for him many times, but on Calvary, the angels had to back up and let him fight alone. He could have got off that cross, but he stayed there and endured the pain for you and I. And if the Lord can endure that pain, that means I can endure the pains of this world. I can endure everything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I want you right now just to close your eyes before we take communion and envision the Lord right now upon that cross. It signifies so much. What this Easter, this resurrection season are you most thankful for during this pandemic? The fact that we get to celebrate another Easter is a miracle in itself. Right now, what does it mean most to you? What does this suffering speak most to you right now? And you get a vision of it right now. It signifies so much. Amen. Do you got the picture in your mind's eye? Good. Praise God. You can open your eyes now. Keep the image there. Jesus said, while the light is in this world, walk with that light. Stay in that light because a darkness will come. When Pentecost came, a light was introduced in a new fashion. It was introduced into the church of the living God. You and I now are the light. You and I now are the replacement body of Jesus Christ. That's why we still stay strong. That's why we still receive communion. It is to signify the Lord's death. Can you clap your hands unto our wonderful Jesus? Praise God.